we can celebrate that. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful that you provide us all things. And God, that we can stand strong in the midst of an uncertain world, God. And for many of us, this week has not been a stable week. Father, there's been circumstances. There's been so many things around us. There's been even storms and trials and so much, Lord. And thank you that we can stand firmly on Jesus, Lord, that you love us, that you provide for us that our circumstances don't have to rule our lives. Thank you so much for that, for loving us, for the gift of Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you can be seated. (laughs) Well, I am looking forward to our time together today. We are continuing in this series that we've been calling, as it says on the slide, Free, Pursuing the Grace Life. And we've spent some weeks walking through the book of Galatians, and we've seen that Paul uh, has been talking to this church, this, this group of people in the, in the region of Galatia, about this issue of grace. And, and he spends a long time talking about it from so many different angles, uh, verse after verse, chapter after chapter, because they just weren't getting it. They had seriously fallen into this works-based issue where, yes, I received Jesus for my salvation. Now I'm going to work out my salvation. I'm just going to work like crazy, and I'm going to make everything happen on my own. We've spent a lot of weeks working at that, looking at that, uh, because that's where Paul has gone. Today marks a transition point, or excuse me, wraps, wraps up this, sec- this section. The first four chapters of Galatians is talking about grace. And again, it's taken him that long, really, to pose his argument, to challenge their thinking, to encourage different understanding and belief, which will lead to different behavior. Next week in chapter 5 is the beginning of a new section where Paul takes all of this theology, this understanding, explaining grace, arguing even over the concept of grace, and then says, beginning next week as we start chapter 5, then says, here's what that looks like in real life. Here's what that'll look like in your life, in your day-to-day living. Well, I'm excited about today. We're wrapping up this section of these first four chapters with the last 11 verses in chapter 4, and I'm excited because it's going to be really hard. I walked off uh, after first service, and Mark said, man, I'm glad you had that passage and not me. That was really hard. And I said, all right, you know, that we'll go ahead and tackle this together. What I'd like to do is a little not totally typical today. Uh, we're going to do this in three sections if we can. And uh, the first section, and so if you want to pull out your outline, you can do that. Your outline and your connection card as well. We'll use that later on in this service. The first section is I'm going to tell you a story, and we're not going to start in Galatians. We're going to start in Genesis. Don't turn there. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of chapters and kind of compress it. But we're going to start with a story that's going to help set up the rest of the talk. Then the middle section, we're actually going to look at our verses in Galatians 4, 21 through 31, and we're going to look at that and unpack it. In your outline, those verses are printed, and then there's a little chart in two parts, and you can make some notes at that time. And then finally, and that's kind of an information section. We've got a story, then some information, and a lot of information, too. Uh, kind of bend your brain a little bit. And then we're going to walk into a so what factor, meaning our application of so what does this mean to me today, and how does God want to use this in my life? And, the, and then you'll actually have a few blanks to fill in for those of you that that would bother you if we didn't have that. But uh, So we're kind of going a little different today. So if we can do that, I'm looking forward to it because I love storytelling, I love information and learning, and I also love application. And so I'm looking forward to all three of those today if we can do that would be awesome together if we can. Well, I want to tell you, 2,000 years ago, in a very, very uh, wealthy area of Mesopotamia, there was a, a, a wealthy, very rich region that was called Chaldea. 
And Chaldea was a, an amazing place, all kinds of wealth, a very key spot. The most key city in the area and the richest city was a city called Ur. Not a real glamorous name I know. Who came up with that one? I'm just not sure. Like, what should we call it? Ur. There we go. You are Ur. You know, a big important city in a rich area. So that's what we have right there in the area of Chaldea. Well, there was a very prosperous, a very wealthy businessman there in Ur, in Chaldea, and his name was Abram. And uh, the Bible tells us then in the book of Genesis that God speaks to Abram. We don't know if this was the first time God has has spoken to him. Abram is described throughout scripture as a very a, a righteous man. He has a, a unique heart, a unique relationship with God. But God speaks to Abraham and basically says, um, first of all, you are going to be a, a great nation. And uh, you are, meaning you're going to have just from you is going to come a great nation. And also he says, I want you to follow me. And in fact, I'm going to lead you out of Ur, where you have this prosperous business. And I want to just take you. In fact, I'm not going to tell you, just follow me. Would you be willing? By the way, you and your wife, and by all means, take your stuff. But off we go, and I'm not even telling. No roadmap here. Uh, Abram, at this time, is 75 years old. Okay, So although some people during that time tended to live a little longer than today, although our age spans are going up, aren't they? Still, that's not young. He's 75 years old. Uh, He is, again, a very prosperous, wealthy businessman. He even has what some people would call, he didn't call her that, but some people would say he even had a trophy wife. She was 10 years younger than him. They'd been married for some time, and she is is eye-catching, okay? The Bible says that even when she hits the age of 80, she is catching people's attention, and people are like, wow, guys are saying wow in terms of just her outwards beauty through that. So he kind of even has this this trophy wife, so to speak. And yet what tickles Abram is he's been told he's going to be the father of a great nation. They don't have any children. Much to, to, to Sarai is, is her name, uh, much to her, I even would say shame, that, that in the midst of all of her beauty and their wonderful relationship together, there's been no children. So Abram basically says, okay, God, which speaks a lot of his faith and trust. He picks up, leaves Ur, and kind of heads where God leaves him out into the desert, and off we go to this place that I'm going to lead you. He and Sarah, he takes his family. He can take a lot of his stuff. He's got lots and lots of herds, flocks, his stuff, and off we go. But he's leaving his business behind. He's just going to go where God leads him. And, uh, and he ends up settling to go up into the land of Canaan, and they end up down in Egypt area. And then 10 years go by. I say 10 years go by because for them, it didn't seem like that. For us, we get to fast forward 10 years. I think for Sarah and for Sarai and for Abram, certainly for Sarai, who is day after day, week after week, month, year after year, not getting pregnant, this starts to be a difficult time because 10 years later, Abram is now 85 years old. Sarah is 75 years old, and she's like, something's got to be done. I'm not. I'm getting older, and then and I'm. The clock is ticking here in a big, big, big way. So, uh, I, God mentioned the kid thing, so I got to do something. So she has picked up a uh, a slave, a female slave in Egypt, an Egyptian slave named Hagar, and she says, Abram, I want you to marry Hagar. This is going to be our solution. You're going to marry her, and she's going to have the one. She's gonna, well, this is going to solve our problems. Abraham provides a little bit of resistance, but not much marries Hagar, and sure enough, a year later, they have a son. Not Sarai and Abram, Hagar, the maidservant, the the slave woman, the Egyptian slave woman, and Abram. And they have a son, and they name him Ishmael. So here's Hagar, kind of this slave, now kind of a wife, too, in the process, and this son, Ishmael, at the age of 85, 86 years old. And uh, 
it starts causing immediate problems. You see, you start picturing this slave woman who's so far been a servant to, uh, to Sarai, all of a sudden starting to walk around pregnant. She hasn't even given birth, and she's already saying, Sarai, look at me, I'm getting so big. And Sarai's, you know, well, then she has the baby, and it's not a girl, which girls are great, but in that time, and especially with the promise, they're looking for a boy, and they have a son, and Sarai, I've got the son. And it literally turns into just going after Sarai. It's driving her crazy. So persecution, it, family's in turmoil all of a sudden. This is not a good thing that, that's going on. And day after day, week, month after month, year after year, this becomes a difficulty. At one point, things get so bad, Hagar is like, I'm going to run away because she might do me in or something. And God says, no, 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 and I need you back here. My plan isn't done. So they continue to live together, but this is not good. Sarai probably is regretting this big time. Because now there's this kid in the mix that's not hers. There's this other woman in the mix, and she's getting older. Abram's getting older. Where is all this going? 13 years later, Hagar is now, uh, excuse me, Ishmael, the son, is now 13 years old. He's a young teenager. That lovely time of life, 13 years old, causing no problems in the home, I'm sure. God uh, speaks again to Abram. Again, we don't know if he's spoken more or what has gone on, but now at the age, Abram is now 99 years old. Catch this. 24 years after that first time when he spoke and said, you're going to be the father of a great nation, and I want you to go where I follow you, and uh, you know, I'm uh, making a, establishing a covenant with you. 24 years later, he again says to Abram, Abram, what were you worried about? I'm establishing, reestablishing this great covenant with you. Continue to follow me. You are going to be the father of a great nation. In fact, I'm changing your name from Abram, which means exalted father. That was given by his dad way back when. What should we call our son? Abram. God says, it's no longer Abram, which means exalted father. I'm going to change it to Abraham, which means father of many nations. I'm 99 years old. Sarai's name is going to be changed to Sarah. Sarai means princess. Sarah, changing Sarai to Sarah. Sarah means uh, a princess or mother of many. And so even again, God's saying, this is my plan. Remember what I told you what my plan was here? And, and, and here's what's going to happen. And so it's interesting to me that both the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, in the Bible, both of them speak about Abraham during this time. And they both use these, this, exact, this exact phrase. Abraham's body was as good as dead. <laughs> Figure it out in terms of childbearing. I, don't, I mean, it wasn't like he's dying, but they, in other words, nothing's happening there, right? And, and herself, Sarah, in reference to herself, while she's listening to God make the promise, she's like, my body is all worn out, was her expression on it, to say, there is just no way. I'm past childbearing years. And she even laughs when she hears God make the promise. God's like, well, why did you laugh? And oh, I didn't laugh. Yeah, yeah, you laughed. Abraham here at 99 years old is like, oh, man, God, what are you doing? Are you kidding me in the process? And one year, one year later, they miraculously give birth to a son, the promised son from 25 years earlier at the age of 190. Isaac appears upon the scene, their one son, the promised son. 
Now we immediately have conflict in the family even more because now the inheritance son, the promised son is on the scene. And now we have this kind of this half half brother over here, Ishmael, who's 13, 14 years older than the little one. Think there's some persecution going on there. He's jealous. This is the one that's going to get the inheritance. He's probably, he starts picking on the young one. Things get horrible. And at this point, things, and Sarah says, she, they got to go. Hagar and Ishmael have got to go. We got to cast them out. This is horrendous here. Abraham and the Lord agree. And so Hagar and Ishmael, 14-year-old Ishmael, actually it's time 15, 16, in the process, they get ushered out of the scene. Things are bad for them for a moment, and, uh, and Hagar's like, let's just give ourselves up out here in the wilderness and die. And God says, don't do that. I'm going to take care of you. You're not the promised son. You don't have inheritance, but I'm certainly going to keep you alive. You are, you are who you are, and you're a, a, a child loved by God. God keeps them alive and allows a certain amount of, of prospering there. We actually find out that Ishmael gives birth to 12 sons of his own and becomes a father of a nation and all kinds of speculation of what that means over the, over the uh, centuries as well. But we come back over here with Abraham and Sarah, with Isaac, and we go, wow, what an amazing story. What an amazing miracle now that God has brought to them, fulfilled this promise, and we have this son on the picture so here is our story and our background, and we take all this time, this is many chapters in the book of Genesis, we do all of this because in the 11 verses in Galatians 4, starting at verse 21, that we're going to look at today, he talks about this story as if you know all about it, because his readers of the day, they were well-versed in the history, they were very aware of this, even perhaps in more detail than I just told, and so he's going to refer to all these things, and in fact, in some pretty like, what is he saying in ways? But I needed to set the table because for today to make sense to you, both to understand it as well as to see how God might want to work on our hearts, we need to kind of have that as a backdrop. So what I'd like to do here is, um, is take a moment to look through, again, this trans- transition to the second part of your outline. I want to read through all these verses for you. Uh, and uh, again, they're going to get a little bit kind of, what, wait, what is that? But you're going to recognize some things about what I just talked about. And then on your outline, there is a little two-sided chart again, and you'll get a chance to, we'll fill in some, not fill in the blanks, but I'll give you some words you can put on both sides of the chart that we can kind of see what happens in the process. But th- that's where we're at. And so let me read you these verses as we go through. Starting at verse 21 in Galatians 4, it says this, tell me, Paul is writing, he says, tell me you who desire to be under the law, which is the people he's writing to, Um, Do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, right? We just talked about it. One by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. Here we go. Hang on. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, and she is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Don't worry, I'm going to help you make sense with some of this, okay? But for the most part, we're doing all right, okay? But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, here we go, get it back on track. You brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. Remember, Ishmael was persecuting little Isaac. So also it is now. But what does the scripture say? 
Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let's pray and go home. No. A great story, and then a passage like, oh, yeah, I hear Hagar. So the names are making some sense, but boy, I Sinai and New Jerusalem, Old Jerusalem, Huckabuckle Beanstalk Jerusalem, I kind of got lost in the middle there. We'll kind of unpack some of that. What I'll invite you to do is you're going to look at your chart as we go through, and really there's two sides of this thing, and I want to break the verses down, just one or two at a time, and help you see, and we're going to fill in this chart. And what we have on the chart is really on the left side is, is kind of works, works-based life, and on the right side is grace. Remember, these whole first four chapters, he's been coming at all different angles of what is grace all about, and what does that really mean in terms of not having to work for anything to earn anything from God because we can't. So the left side and the right side, you'll see how that works through the process. So let me start again. We'll do a verse or two, and then I'll pull out and, and let you fill in some things on the chart. This section says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? And then he starts quoting, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. So let's stop right there. We see the first entries in each column. On the left side, you can write Ishmael and Hagar, and on the right, you can write Isaac and Sarah. Those are the sons and the moms, both of them with Abraham. It's the story that we just talked about. But really, those are the headings because what's happening here is Paul, in an argument, talking to these people that they had great pride that they were sons and daughters of Abraham, he starts saying, wait a second, I'm not quite sure things are as simple as you think. And so he starts in this process. He represents two opposite issues, which is really works on the left and, uh, and grace on the right. So he mentions these two people, and then he says this, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So simply right on the left side, you can write the flesh, and on the right side, you can write left is the flesh, and on the right side, you can write God's promise. And then go ahead and write down the word miracle, because you better believe it was a miracle, okay? Because both Abraham and Sarah and commentators later are saying, there ain't no way this is happening, but it does. So on the left side, we have the flesh. The right side, we have, uh, we have God's promise, which was a miracle. You see, the flesh is our attempt to handle things. It was Sarah's attempt to handle things, which makes us, can make us feel pretty important and valuable, like I'm solving things. But when we do that, when Sarah did that, she missed out on God's promise and God's miracle. She was going to solve things in her own way, and it wasn't God's plan. So here's the tough part for us for a second. You see, you can't have both. You have to choose. It says at the top, we are free to choose. Now, certainly, Ishmael and Isaac, they were not able to choose themselves. They were just born. But for, for what Paul is saying to us and for what we need to understand today is it does come down to choice. Not only do you choose to follow Jesus with your life and give him your life and ask for salvation, but who and how are you going to follow every second of every day and every moment. And that's what comes down. You can't have both. And it takes way more faith, trust, and patience to choose the promise and the miracle, as cool as it is. Remember how many years? It was 25 years later that God finally brought this to pass. Well, Sarah responded to God's promise with impatience and her own solutions in the flesh, and, uh, and she missed God's promise, at least for those many years. So we see that uh, on the chart. Let me continue on in the verses. Next, it says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. Here we go, but it won't be too hard. These women are two covenants. Well, let's just stop right there. We have two covenants. They're referred to as the old covenant on the left, which is the law, and the new covenant on the right, which is liberty. Now, there's a lot written in the Bible. Uh, 
certainly in the Old Testament about the Old Covenant, but much in the New Testament as well about both the Old and the New Covenant. And long story short, what's happening is the Old Covenant was the law was given, basically God to say, here's how I want you to live, and by the way, I know you can't. This is going to reveal the fact that you aren't going to be able to be perfect, but it's going to ask everything from you to work as hard as you can, and still it won't be enough. That's the old covenant, everything from you and nothing from God. The new covenant changed under Jesus. This is where the liberty comes in, where it now becomes everything from God, everything from Jesus, and nothing from you. Did you get nothing? Nothing is nothing, not some. That's where we kind of make the mistake. So this old covenant that's represented, Ishmael, the old covenant, that's the law, and Isaac representing this new covenant, which is liberty in the process. Everything through Jesus, nothing through me. So talks about the allegory here of the, of the covenants. And then he says, one of the covenants and one of the sons is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. And she is Hagar, referring to the mom. Now, let me just finish and I'll unpack this. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother so hold on if i lost you here two points we're going to pull from these passage from this little passage first of all the first one is it's the desert versus the promised land we have the desert versus the promised land now mount sinai when it which it mentions twice here that's where the law was given that's the mountain that moses went up to if you've seen the movie or read about it the ten commandments the law is given and it's way more than ten by the way but the the inscription on the metal on the metal <laughs> on the on the stones that he brings down the stone tablets that's where the law is given now it it is it is both key that it's in the law but also that it's out in the desert and it is not in the promised land god was calling the nation of israel way back when the law was given he says one day i'm going to leave you back lead you back to the promised land and it's going to be the land flowing with milk and honey it's going to be awesome you ain't there yet and in the meantime in the desert i'm going to give you the law and give you all the expectations all the guidelines all the things that will set you apart as a people and all the things that are going to frustrate you because you can't do them all but you have to give it your best shot. That's the law. That's the old covenant. And that's the desert represented by Mount Sinai. And he talks about current day at that time, Jerusalem. He, uh, he, he equates that with Mount Sinai because the Jerusalem of that day, it was the center of Judaism. Okay, sure, that's where Christianity was kind of getting launched to, but Christians were being dispersed. So when he refers to this Jerusalem here, this first time, this present or current uh, Jerusalem, he's talking about the fact that this is the very heart of Judaism, which is the law. You've got to keep the law. And again, it's desert, it's dry, it's impossible. And even though the city itself is in the desert, that is representing the old covenant that we've talked about here. On the flip side, when he talks about the Jerusalem from above, that's the eternal Jerusalem, the eternal city. For scripture, sometimes you'll even call that Zion. This is this beautiful place. It's where freedom happens. It's where liberty is. This is uh, the promised land that happens. And so that's one thing we draw from here. Which, which column is starting to look better, by the way? Yeah, that's the point he's making, but let's keep walking through there. He starts by saying, hey, you guys talk about the law. What does the law say? And then he starts building a case for, and, and you choose, guys. And he starts writing things on the left and on the right. And at some point you're going, well, why would I choose the left side? Now, let's keep going, though. Second point from these, this little section is it's slavery versus freedom. Because again, he, taught, he uses the word, the word slave or slavery several times just in these couple little verses here. And he's speaking about the law and its relationship to us and us to it. It's hopeless slavery 
or eternal hope and freedom. Slavery of the law, of continuing to just be a slave to the law. I've got to try to live up to something that I can't, and I feel in bondage to it. And it's either that, which represents all the things above, or it's true freedom that God gives us in Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to write, for it is written, and then he quotes, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Who was that? That was Sarah, right? He's talking about allegorically Sarah. Um, Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of of the one who has a husband. And so this speaks of of bondage versus blessing. We see bondage versus blessing. Bondage goes right along with the slaver, right along with this to say, hey, I'm trying so hard even to produce kids. The blessing part of this is, you know what, Sarah, Abraham, and, and to all of us even today, it's, it's my plan, God says. And the blessing is going to be, I'm going to give you a son that's going to turn into a flood of people, a throng of people, at more than the stars in the heavens in terms of from the naked eye that God says. And you see, he's referring to the, to the Hebrews, to the Jewish nation, which is, of course, has become millions and millions and millions of people. But beyond that, he's referring to every single person that becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible will say that we are sons and daughters of Abraham in terms of the promise. And so the blessing that's a part of this is God's blessing that's tied to the promise. And it becomes a really big thing. And it includes all of us if you're a follower of Jesus. Um, Okay, so the next little section here, it says this. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. Remember, we talked about the boys and, and the older persecuting and the younger. So it is now. But what does scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So there we go. We have, again, one more issue. No inheritance on one side inheritance on the other. And it's right in front of us here. Um, It's simple. Direct children of the promise, right? Of the full family, they receive the inheritance. They're fully a part of the family. They're full rewards of the family for all of eternity. And those that don't, well, they, they... those that aren't part of that family, they may, they may feel good for a short time about their own efforts, you know, kind of, kind of in the process where it's time, man, I did a good job at that. But ultimately, that feeling is the only reward they get. There is not the eternal inheritance there. Uh, it's pretty short-lived good feeling. So, so let me just pause again and say, Paul, Paul is building this case because the Galatians were so, I'm a son of Abraham. And he's like, yeah, but both sides are sons of Abraham. Where are you? Because you who love the law so much, you're trying to live under the law. Look at what you're dealing with. It's represented by Ishmael and Hagar. And then you see that it's the flesh, which is trying to do your own thing. And then you're bound by the old covenant, which takes you into the desert. And it's slavery, and it's bondage, and it's no inheritance. How's that sound? Or there's the other stuff offered in Jesus for free, right? So that's really this whole, in the midst of all this Sinai and allegorical and this and that, that's really what he's, he's building a case for here. That takes us to our third part uh, of, our, of our time together today. Uh, we, we had our story to set it up. We, here's all the information, which was a little bit, ooh, but, but yeah, we're making some, making some sense of that. What I can learn today, what's, what's the application today? Well, first of all, I want to tell you to assure you that we are children of promise. And this is, this is, le- this is not information. This is a, ah, this is wonderful. You see, Isaac was a child of promise, and we are today if we choose to follow Jesus. And, because you choose to follow Jesus and ask him into your heart, but and if we can rest in following Jesus. 
Because that's what was happening in Galatia. They said, yeah, I got Jesus in my heart, and now I'm going to work for him. And, and that's not the point, right? So we are children of promise if we can rest in following Jesus. And so this point is simply meant to be a huge encouragement for us, a huge encouragement for you to go, wow, me, little old me, you know, I've just known Jesus for a couple months or a couple years or whatever, and, and, you know, I'm a child of promise? Absolutely you are. You aren't random. You aren't forgotten. You aren't just one grain of many on the sand of life, so to speak, right? That it's just, you're kind of there. God says, you are chosen. You are a child of promise. I have a promise for you, and you fulfill the promise. You are part of my promise made, and the fulfillment of that me you. I'd love for you to walk out encouraged today to say if you're, in fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, say it out loud. I'm a child of promise. Go ahead and say it. I'm a child of promise. You may say, I'm not even sure what that means. Me either. I mean, I do, but we, 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 we're going to learn it and walk in that. I'm a child of promise. That's kind of not how I've thought of myself a whole lot in the past. Start thinking that way. You are a child of promise. As a follower of Jesus, walking with him, both the result of the promise and the recipient of the promise of God. Well, secondly, and this next one's a big one, doing it my way doesn't help God. It never does. Doing it, I did it my way. Yeah, doing it my way doesn't help God. It never does. And I have to say this because Sarah blew it, and so do we all the time. I want you to catch this today. Sarah blew it by trying to do it her way, even though she thought she was doing the right thing. She thought she was doing a good thing, but it caused all sorts of problems. And I think we do that same sort of thing all the time when we take things into our own hands. I can picture Sarah who hears when she's 65 and he's 75 that they're going to have a baby, but now she's 75 and Abe is 85. We're getting stinking old. This is not happening. I need to solve this thing. And so Sarah's like, God, I want to save the embarrassment of not fulfilling your promise. You know, maybe you got kind of busy in the process and and you forgot to make this baby thing happen, but I'm going to step in and save the day for you. I got a plan. And uh, so she does that through her, the whole Hagar incident and Ishmael. And and I think for us, just like Sarah, we can, we can act with what makes sense to us, even to help God, uh, even to help God. And it may feel good and, and make us feel good about ourselves, you know, where I feel smart and industrious, valuable, worthy, something like that. But bottom line, when we act thinking that our timing is right and our solution is right, that our perspective is best, and that we're really going to help God out with our great decisions, it, it doesn't help God. In fact, it gets in the way. Sarah messed things up, and, and we mess things up every time we try to solve things on our own, even, even with good motives, you know? And let me ask you, do you ever step before God, take that step before God, what he wants you to do, or maybe the timing of that? Man, it's so hard to wait. I think God wants me to move now, I'm pretty sure, because <laughs> it feels good to me. Maybe it's not God's timing and God, not God's purpose. Even if it makes so much sense to you, you know, well, I'm sure if God had thought of it first, he would be all for it. <laughs> I just thought of it before him this time. I'm sure he'll bless me as a result. Well, that's the mistake Sarah made, and so on. we too often make in our pride and our, our impatience, our insecurity, even our need to be in control that we can hang on to. And this is contrary, really, to the full faith and trust in God, and it denies the grace of God from working in our lives on his terms. 
See, let me explain one more thing. We've talked a lot in these last many weeks about this concept of, of I received Jesus for my salvation, and then I've, I feel like I've got to work. Maybe the, uh, a pastor or a church or a radio show or even just from internally, I feel like I've got I've to do good things. I've got to join a group. I've got to do these things. I've got to do this. I've got to read the Bible every day. I've got to pray a whole lot. I've got I've to, I've got I've got to because I'll make me more spiritual and God will accept me more. If you've been coming over the last couple months, you've heard a lot of that and it's very true. This passage, I believe, isn't just dealing with that, what you feel put on. It's more like, yeah, this is going to be good. It's, it's a, I can operate out of my own strength. Not that I have to, I'm just gonna, because I've got a good idea and it's really going to help the kingdom on my terms and in my time. Both of them block the grace of God. There's no time and room for God's grace to work when we're working so busy and when we're so full of ourselves working in our methods and in our timing, just like with God, he stands back and lets Hagar and Ishmael appear on the scene and says, okay, let me know when you're ready to, to, to be in relationship with me. I feel this is a big point that we can learn from this passage today. Well, number three, in terms of understanding, living free in Jesus can bring persecution Living free in Jesus, not just being a Jesus person, meaning a Christian, but living free in Jesus, that's an emphasis, can bring persecution. And I put from church people, in quotes, who don't get it. Uh, uh, Isaac and Sarah, if you think about it, they were persecuted by the family, you know, the whole Ishmael and and Hagar thing, because they weren't totally the family. For us, when we look at that, because he talks about this in Galatians, persecution often comes from people who are religious, quote-unquote religious, right? Just as Jesus, if you think about it, he was persecuted. Jesus wasn't persecuted by the Romans. They didn't care. Who was it? It was the, the religious people, even the religious rulers and leaders of the day, the people that followed the law and taught the law. They were the ones that came after Jesus who, let's see, yeah, he was guilty of loving people, healing people, teaching truth, those sorts of things. Yeah, let's kill him. Because that's not lawful stuff. That's not following the law in the process there. Uh, our greatest opposition even today can come from those who claim to practice religion. Maybe even people who claim to be Christians, uh, but they do it in the name of tolerance or diversity and, and pluralism. I mean, those are some big words, but so often there's this guise, this, this covering of, of religion that then makes someone who's simply going to live free in Christ, they're going to take shots at you because they don't like your freedom that you're practicing in the process. They can hate us because we stand for the truth that salvation comes only through Jesus. Oh, you're so (laughs) narrow-minded. God says, and I'm grateful that he did provide Jesus for us. They can hate us because we don't join them in their compromise. Something we can see in Sarah's day and in this day, in the time of Galatians and the time of today. And then finally, number four, something to learn is that your spiritual pedigree doesn't matter. (laughs) Spiritual pedigree. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying there? Your spiritual pedigree doesn't matter. You see, in this passage, we see that, again, the Jews of Galatia, they were all caught up with this feeling great about their spirituality because they were sons of Abraham, and so that means the law, and that means all these things. And they thought the most important thing was their heritage, their spiritual pedigree. Well, look at me. And uh, they thought that was enough, but clearly it's not because Isaac and Ishmael were both sons of Abraham, weren't they? And yet they were worlds apart in who they were and how they functioned, right? So even in this analogy, he's saying, well, hold off, you're saying sons of Abraham, big deal in terms of actually being a son of Abraham. 
for us today, I, it's sometimes easy to rely like on the church you go to, you know? You think that going to Twin Cities Church, well, that makes us right with God. Well, I go to church a lot. That's good, right? You know, or, or, or being baptized when we were younger in the Catholic Church or whatever church you went to, that, that makes us okay in God's eyes. Or We think that being a part of a community group makes us spiritual and acceptable to God, or if not going, maybe even just leading, not just, but maybe leading or, and or hosting. Well, that'll be, that's going to make a difference. I know having a pastor as a close friend or having a parent or, a, or a, someone in your family as a missionary, having a big study Bible in your hands, right? Those things are going to, those things are going to make a difference. And nothing against those things. Those things are all fine, but by themselves, they're not enough. God absolutely wants your heart. He wants your total submission, no reliance on anything of your spiritual pedigree, your heritage, what you're a part of, what you've been a part of. It simply comes down to say, will you submit and and will you rely on nothing but the free gift of Jesus to not just save you, but to actually lead you in every step of your life? You see, we need to choose to be followers and to not do it our own way, to try and solve things our way. Two sons, Abraham up here, but two moms, two sons, two sides to choose from, two different, very different results. And which one are you and where do you choose to live today? Pray with me, please. Father, I thank you so much that you've given us the example of, uh, of, the, of Abraham, of Sarah, of Isaac, of Hagar, and of Ishmael in the midst of this kind of what feels unwieldy and maybe even difficult to handle and understand. But God, what you've revealed to us is that yes, you love us. Yes, you want to set us free, not just set us free once, but for eternity and every second of every day. And Lord, I just would pray among the other things here that that we've seen that we can learn from this, God, that we would not operate in our own way even as if we're a follower of Jesus, if you're out there today, I, I would just pray for each one of us, God, that, that uh, we wouldn't step out in our own timing, in our own way. That, Lord, maybe it's in the way of a relationship or maybe it's in the way of businesses and finances. Maybe it's in the way of, of a personal issue in our life that we wouldn't look to solve it on our own like Sarah did, even if it makes great sense. Lord, that we would defer to your plan, your program, and your timing in complete submission, Lord. So that, this, so that you can be glorified and your grace can have its way in us, in Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.